0: going on everybody welcome to nba stories my name is nick nasby i'm your host here joined of course by the philly bull himself mark daquilla mark
1: what's going on doing well over here happy to be back so quickly this time we promised that the hiatus would not be as long this time and we're delivering man
0: quick turnaround i know quick turnaround it's funny too because it's like this is like the dog days of the nba you know like we're starting in like the lull time between uh, out you know the beginning then you got it little bit of a buildup when you start to see like the teams playing better until Christmas. And then after Christmas, now it's like a lull until the all-star break. And we don't know what the all-star teams look like. I think in a couple of weeks, we should start to talk about all-star snubs. Um, I mean, obviously when the teams get, get uh, selected, but I also want to talk about who we think are the snubs are going to be and see who, who, who we're right about. Cause I feel like there's going to be a lot of guys who should be on this team who are not going to be on this team and it's going to be pretty interesting to see it. I mean like let like let's look at last year. Like Trey Young didn't make any sense in the world for him to not be on the team, but he wasn't yeah, you, for like what reason, you know? You see his
1: dad is already like campaigning for him on Twitter this year even though he, It's a joke yeah, probably has, isn't going to have a shot.
0: It's a joke that he that he didn't make it last year. Yeah. I mean like what like what are they thinking? This kid's averaging like 29 and what? 9. It doesn't matter what team he's on. This this isn't for the MVP. This isn't for first-team All-NBA. This is for an all-star game. You're putting in guys who just, like, really didn't deserve it as much, in my opinion, including maybe Julius. Not going to say any which way with that, but possible. Who cares? But, uh, you know, I, I think the there's major talking points with the trade deadline coming up. We saw uh, a major trade that got Bull Bull freed out of his chains. Didn't mean that in the way that it might be coming across. Uh, and sent to Boston <laughs> in a three-team trade from Denver, and uh, you know maybe he'll get some burn. They definitely need a big man really bad. I'm actually really intrigued by by him going to him going to the Celtics. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, it was a really interesting move, and in especially in regard to the fact that the trade had been uh, that previous bowl-bowl trade was obviously um, washed away because of the physical. Um, so now you're looking at Bol getting surgery and he's going to be out a couple of months. So I think the Celtics kind of looked at this as like a, a buy low situation where they say, Hey, we can get him for even cheaper than he was traded for just two days previously. We're not really in a situation right now where we're ready to roll and win this season. They have looked pretty bad. So why not go for that long-term play with a guy like Bol I also thought the, the Bryn Forbes ad for Denver was interesting. He's a decent little player. Um, I was surprised to see San Antonio make the move that they did. Uh, I think they got Hernan Gomez back as the only piece, really. But Forbes is a decent little score for them, and I think he'll be important for the lack of three-point shooting that Denver has around Jokic right now. I think the Spurs are finally in a position where they're
0: considering a rebuild. He, it's been an interesting yeah. situation just because – They've lost, all, obviously, their big three. They're not the same team that we used to see however long ago. But the fact that they have Popovich there has really just been like, yeah, you still have this coach, right? You still have this legendary coach who's, got, who's brought you five titles. You still could do something regardless of who's on the team because of Greg Popovich. And and I think we've actually kind of seen that happen, right? I mean, LaMarcus came in and played at a high level, and they were still a fringe French playoff team consistently like Demar was there playing well, and even when those guys left, now you have like Dejounte and Bryn was there, and they have they had like a couple guys, even Lonnie Walker's playing yeah. much better than I think people anticipated from him. And it was very interesting for me, at least, to see that because I'm like, wow, is he really going to make this fucking team good again? <laughs> but, you know, obviously this year they haven't performed 16-28 and 28 as as we stand right now. Maybe it'll change by the time this actually comes out, but, you know, it's not going to change enough for it to be a different story for San Antonio. They haven't really been relevant in a while. So I, I think, you know, moving on from Bryn Forbes, it's obviously not going to be a, a, a franchise-changing uh, yeah move, but he has not. been a double digit scorer for the last three seasons so i think that's important to bring up too
1: i'm not i'm not making an exact comparison here at all um but he almost reminds me of like a poor man's patty mills in that sense
0: i was gonna say patty mills yeah yeah. yeah. so i think same size exactly
1: and like same sort of role so i i like the move a lot for denver that was the i I thought they were one of the underrated winners in that trade i mean we're all just excited about the trade deadline so we'll talk a lot more about this move than if it had happened um a month from now but i i just thought it was interesting on a lot of levels
0: you know it's funny that you bring that up the patty mills thing too because like while you're talking i was looking this up He's 33 now in his prime, you know, winning championships with the the Spurs early on. I think he was on that 2014 championship team. And so if you think about it from that perspective, like he he played, he's averaged double figures six times now. He's averaging double figures this year too. On this Brooklyn team, starting the majority of the games that he's played, he's averaging 13 a game as a 33-year-old, more than he's ever averaged in his entire life, his entire career. And it just really shows just like the role aspect of the San Antonio Spurs because it's like, yeah, you're going to do this thing for us and you're not going to be let out of the box for us. And you're going to have to do it specifically, you know, in this particular way or else you're not going to have a place on the team. And I, I think it's just so funny how that happens to a lot of players. Like imagine if Kawhi was still on the team, first of all, how great they would have been for yeah. how many more years right and number two let's just look at Kawhi's numbers for the past like five seasons right since he left the spurs even on the spurs he was averaging like 25 a game right but the last season when he got hurt he was down to 16 but toronto 26 and a half his first la year 27 and this year before and last year sorry he was averaging about 25 more than he ever obviously averaged in san antonio but you have to consider from that perspective too somebody like tim duncan who just like Knew his role, right? He knew what was assigned to him the entire time he was playing in San Antonio. Imagine like what he would have done on a team that would have required more offense from him—easily thirty a game, easily. I mean, like the the, the movements, the fundamentals, the footwork—it was so flawless. There was nothing you could do to stop Tim Duncan, and now it's like now we look back at it. It's like yeah, he's, he's got what four rings, five rings. And uh, an average of about 22 points per game is for his career, and he easily could have been at least seven more of it, but he just didn't want to. He didn't care, you know.
1: That entire the, the way the Spurs organization is built is just like, even even when they're not good, they will always have some of these role players too that just other teams will will seek at trade deadlines just like this one every single year. You know what I mean? Like they just have. You're, you know you're getting a guy from a, a well-built program, a great coaching staff who's going to be able to fit into whatever role you need them in. Even a guy like Derek White, coming out of college and really in his early years in the NBA, I didn't think anything of the guy. And he's he's developed into a very good player in his own right. It's like they, they go pretty deep on the roster, Keldon Johnson. Every single year, it's like these guys come out of nowhere. And I don't know if they're going to end up with the most successful career with the Spurs. Because like you said, they're moving into this rebuild, but these are all guys that are going to get moved in trade deadlines soon and and have significant impacts on other teams.
0: Well, and I think that might be where where the management is going with San Antonio. It's like Pops clearly closer to the end than he is to the beginning of his career. And who knows how long he's going to last. You know, maybe this is his last season. Knowing the Spurs, like, he's not going to make an announcement until it's actually happening. <laughs> yeah, so, nah. you know, it might be his last season. He hasn't fucking said anything about it yet, though, you know. So th- I think the big thing about the Spurs, this innate ability that they have in terms of an actual rebuild, is that they have these pieces in-house that they that – they Build to be such consistent role players that they turn into really valuable trade pieces by themselves. So they can basically, like, take somebody, say, You're going to the Spurs, you're going to play on Greg Popovich's team, you're going to play this role, you're going to get really good at playing this one particular role. So you know exactly what value you bring to a team down the road. And now you turn into a trade piece. You know, so I, I think that's a really interesting concept for this. The reason why they were able to throw their hat in the in the basket for uh, you know for this in this trade, this three team trade that we just saw, is because of that. I think that's a, a great example of that happening. But it's always been the case for them. They just haven't had to. They haven't had to make the trades because they've been so good. They're like, "Fuck you, we don't want to get rid of our people." Like it's worked, you know. But now I think they can use that same strategy that has gotten them five championships to help with the, the beginning of this rebuild. Get themselves a better draft pick. Get themselves in the top of the of the lottery for you know a couple of years here. Maybe get a star or two or whatever the case is, and use these pieces that they're developing internally in order to get people you know from the auxiliary to be able to surround it I, 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 they they know what they're doing like the team is clearly run like a well-oiled machine so even when they're bad you can clearly see like how they're operating and i think it's pretty interesting and that being said in the same state i think it's a it's an it's another interesting concept because it used to be like the the triumvirate of nba teams in in texas right like the rockets were always competitive yeah for so the mavericks long mavericks were always competitive <laughs> And then the Spurs were always competitive. Same division, just beat the shit out of each other all, all season, right? Throw the Grizzlies in there once in a while. Obviously, the Pelicans were usually pretty shitty. But it, it, it's been really a very interesting dynamic as we've seen it in the Southwest division right now for a couple of reasons. We talked about this one last week. You know, The Grizzlies are clearly, by a wide margin, the best team in that division right now. And uh, and the number three team in the in the West, you know, all all around, and it's all led by John ja Moran. We went into him last week, so we'll you know we'll 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 leave off the kudos to him because I think it's going to be way too consistent if we just do it every week. Yeah. And uh, but they are right now the number three team. They've actually increased in position standing since just literally Saturday, the last time we recorded, and now the Spurs, they're bad. The the Rockets are bad. The Pelicans are obviously bad. And the only other team that's really competing with them for that division title is the fucking mavericks and as we were talking about before this before we started recording here mark the mavericks they're not looking terrible they're not looking the best but i think the big thing that should be a concern for a lot of mavericks fans is just just how out of shape luka Doncic is clearly right now i mean have you noticed that when you see him play
1: yeah you just notice that he's he's not i mean I remembered running these podcasts last season where it was the way we're talking about John Morant right now and how we we need to like stop ourselves from getting into a half an hour discussion about him every single episode is how we were talking about Luca last year. I don't, it's just not been the same sort of dominance. And I mean, in the longevity of a career, not every season is going to be like that. Um, But it is a little concerning with the expectations he had coming into the year. And I almost think it might be more concerning when you look at the fact that the team is six games over 500 and the five seed in the Western Conference, and Luka is playing the way that he is. Because on one hand, you look at it as where could we be when he elevates that game. But on the other, you're looking back like, huh. Are we playing better as a team with him taking a lesser role and maybe working into less of a me, me, me scorer and more of a distributor in this offense, or is this just purely really a luck situation where they've locked into a couple wins and the more that the better Luca plays, they're just going to get only get better? I really don't know in this situation because Jalen Brunson's proven in the time that Luca's been out this year to be a very underrated player in this league that's only going to continue to improve. And he's, he's definitely their most valuable player so far this season. So I, I'm interested to see how it goes because this is looking like a team that's destined for the playoffs. I know we have the Clippers are going to come soaring back at some point here soon when PG and Kawhi return. But I would say the Mavericks are probably going to be in that playoff picture when it really comes down to it. And if Luka gets hot, that's a dangerous, dangerous team. Uh, I did not expect them to be the five seed in the conference at all this season, let alone with Luca only averaging what twenty points a game right now. it's it, it has not been all that impressive.
0: Also interesting to me coming from 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 this team, the way that we looked at them, it it all started for me when I. Try I I used them on on 2K one time and it was like yeah I can watch them and kind of see the fluidity of the game but when I played with them I was like holy shit you get past like Luka and KP and this team is like boring as fuck like I have to turn auto subs off because I it's I don't want to play with so them those guys on the bench because it's so shitty like where do I go with it Tim Hardaway Jr Maxi like, Klebo Reggie Bullock you know like there's so many there's so few pieces on this team outside of those two besides, you know, KP and Luca, that it's almost inevitable that somebody else is gonna like kinda step in and start to play at a high level. And I think that Jalen Brunson took the took the reins there and really is starting to initially he was leading the second team, but now it's kinda like you kinda have to start his ass, you know, yeah. He's averaging sixteen a game. You have to start a guy who's going to give you 16 a game in a slowdown pace, which is clearly the best style for the Mavericks. I don't think they're a run and gun team in the slightest. And, uh, you know, you have to start a guy who's going to be giving you that kind of production. And, And so it's been a very interesting concept with that. I mean, the Mavericks are notorious for overpaying. So Jalen Brunson, I think, knows that. And it's been kind of reported that he's looking for upwards of $80 million on a four year after this. So... That might be a little bit too much, too too soon. Who knows? But it, the 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 truth of the matter is that everybody's gonna want a point guard like this, so he might be able to pull a leverage card right. on them and say, "Hey, this is what I'm asking for. This this team's willing to give it to me. Are you? You know, and see if they see if they're able to match that offer sheet." But I I you know the big the the major thing that I wanted to talk about talking about these Mavericks is just listen, man. Like Luca averaging twenty four and a half points a game. We it's hard for us to sit here and say like oh that's so bad right that's so bad twenty four and eight how could you be so shitty right it just doesn't look as good he doesn't look like he's fluid he doesn't really look like he knows where he's going with the ball anymore he's not he he's not as has I I would say he's not as um, confident in what he's doing and I think a lot of it has to do with his his attitude and his arrogance. I don't know. Do you, do you agree with the, the fact that, you know, he might be a little bit too much of a
1: blue chipper at this point. That's, what's really interesting. And you know, you have to, you have to expect that if you're a guy like, like Luca, as you're coming to the league with this dominance, this new style, we really haven't seen in a long time. Teams are, have committed this season to showing maximum attention, everything they have, putting it all on Luca. That's why it's kind of worked out almost, in the in the Mavericks' um, advantage, you really haven't noticed massive differences in their in his plus minus on the court. It hasn't been like a huge problem that when he's on the court, but it also hasn't been like this massive uh, increase in the team's play. They've really held up well all season long with or without him, and I think that that sort of speaks to that. They have all this attention on Luca, and other players are sort of able to do their own thing around that. The problem is I don't think Luca is really he's Luca's really gonna have to adjust from that. As you come into the league in your your third year, that's what that adjustment period where teams might start to figure out figure you out a little bit and you're gonna have to evolve your game. And I think that's what we're gonna have to see with Luca in the next couple of years is how he does that. Um, though I will say another thing with this team too is it's Jason Kidd's first season. So I'd be interested to see as it goes on, how is he going to help Luca along with this because um, right now I'd say Luke, uh, Jason Kidd is is a candidate for a Coach of the Year. He's he's been really really relatively solid with the Mavericks so far. This is a team with the way Luca's playing, you wouldn't expect to be in the playoff picture, let alone the five seed in the West. I mean, early on the team was really struggling, and you know their lineups weren't making a lot of sense with Dwight Powell and uh, Porzingis. And to me, I'll tell you straight up, I think Porzingis is is a huge misfit on this team in general it creates a lot of matchup problems for them defensively just having him on the court because he has so such a deep injury history that they don't want to play him at the five and he can't guard anyone at the four so it's created a lot of problems for this team Dwight Powell isn't exactly the five that they want to start but they are kind of end up in this no-win situation because he can at least guard a four if you need to um I, I just I, I don't know. It's a team that I still don't see great potential with um, long term, but I think Luca will turn it around more, and you're going to start to see the rest of the team maybe fall off. If that makes no seven
0: foot three player should be shooting forty five percent from the field. That's that's ridiculous. You know he's at twenty nine <laughs> from three Not. five five threes a game because and I, I, I talk about this when I talk about the stretch big position, you know, from, from a shot is like, it is by far the most frustrating position on the court where it's like, you are a seven foot three, basically center. Why the fuck are you 25 feet away from the basket? What are you doing? Why are you not closer in at least from the mid range, dude? Like why are half of your shots a game from three? that makes absolutely no sense to me and it it baffles me that no one has been able to kind of get that through his thick brain that dude this is going to be the the downfall of your career if you have a bad season you're going to look like you have absolutely no value on a fucking team he had a good start to the year you know he was his usage rate was relatively similar but he was seeing increases in efficiency increases in scoring increases in just general like happiness <laughs> <laughs> on the fucking team. And now we're going right back to just general fucking poor Zingas. There's like back to normal poor Zingas where you you think everyone knows that there's just something else to get out of this guy, but he just chooses to not do it. He just chooses to step away from the basket. That's why no one's threatened by the Mavericks right now. They have two stars who just like they're, they're stuck in their own ways. And Luca's way is like basically mm-hmm. MVP caliber basketball, all he needs to do is work harder in the offseason. Just work out, dude. Fucking run. Do some cardio. Don't be out of breath by the fucking third quarter. If you're gonna play 35 minutes a game, play them all hard and, and to the best of your ability. You know, do better at at, uh, at scanning. I mean, this is he's so natural when it comes to being able to view the court, right? And the only thing that happens for somebody who's naturally gifted at a certain aspect is that when you get tired, you lose that natural ability because you're now overwhelmed by the fatigue. And this is what we're running into. And it's not like it's happening every time. Again, he's averaging 25 points a game. But it's enough of the time for it to be less a diminished capacity for his abilities and just more for us to be able to say, oh, shit, Luca's about to fall off. Obviously, that's a very uh, inflammatory claim. But ultimately, like, is this going to be where the ceiling for Luka Doncic? I I truly hope not. He's only 22, right? But as you go forward, is he going to just be a brat, an arrogant little brat? Or is he going to get his shit together get over himself and start working hard and realize that it's for the team now? You know, because again, that's just the big difference between him and Dirk. And what bugs me the most is like, you would think Dirk would maybe be able to input some wisdom into him. Is like, dude, have some humility. Do this shit. You know, like it's, like it's your lifeblood. Play like you have a chip on your shoulder, even if you don't. You know.
1: Going to the Dirk comment too. Uh, if for those that don't know, his number was retired. I want to say it was like two weeks yeah. ago against Golden State, um, in Dallas, and. That was some of the easiest money you could have made all NBA season long. I believe the Warriors were like five point favorites. They're playing hot as hell. It was uh, right before Clay returned. They're like five point favorites in Dallas. Dallas played the hardest game I've seen them playing since Dirk retired. It was it was unbelievable. They beat him outright by like ten or so. Um, easy easy money to make right right there. But uh, definitely want to put some respect on Dirk's name and that jersey retirement. And I'll ask you a quick question here, Nick, Um, because I I was discussing it with somebody at work the other day. Talking the career of Dirk Nowitzki, in the grand scheme of things, has a championship, a single championship, ever meant more to one player's legacy than the 2011 Dirk Nowitzki Mavericks championship? And I think with
0: that question, I think it's important to – To really bring to light a couple things. First of all, we have to talk about where Dirk came from, right? So, you know, 1997-98 in that range. He got drafted in 98. He was this 19-year-old German kid who nobody had ever really seen play. You got to think, for anybody who's listening, there was a time before Dirk, and Dirk's the reason why it's like this now, where nobody knew where the fuck these European guys were. We didn't go over there. We didn't have a, a, a massive scouting presence in Europe. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't. We you know there there was barely anybody online at that point. We weren't understanding like the kind of pl- game that the Europeans were playing. And back then, it was such a different style that it didn't really even fit with the NBA anyway. And so when he came over as a nineteen year old, like he didn't really even want to be there. What happened was, you know, Don Nelson, who was at that point, you know, the GM, uh, and the you know he was and the coach also of the of the Mavericks was uh they were running a they were running a, a shoot around when Dirk was, was there and they saw him play and then they were like, Oh fuck. Like we have to we have to keep this guy secret. Like bad, really bad. We we cannot let people know about him. And so, what was coming up later was the under nineteen championships uh, for for uh, for FIBA, and they were trying like desperately to make sure he didn't play in it. And obviously, he went to play anyway because he loves Germany. He loves playing for his, his home country. Um, and and he just like absolutely murked it. And so, when that when that uh, when that draft was coming up, there was a lot of fan a lot of furor around like is Dirk going to be a top three pick, you know, or is he going to drop to the 15th pick? Like nobody really knew what was going to happen with Dirk Nowitzki. Obviously in 98, you know, Al O'Connor, one of the bigger busts of all time is the number one pick. And, you know, you're going down, you're seeing a couple names. Like I think Jamison was in that draft. Uh, Paul Pierce came after Dirk, but there was a couple good names. Vince Carter obviously was in that draft too. And so it gets to number seven or I can't remember if it was seven or eight for, for Dallas and they are – uh, trading with the Bucks, you know, to to get that pick, and they take Dirk and they get Dirk in that in that way. Um, they didn't think they were gonna have him at that point, but they did, you know. So like that, that's that's like a lucky lucky move by Dallas. This is before Mark Cuban even had the team owned. So he goes to Dallas. He's this like gangly German kid in America, basically for the first time doesn't know anybody doesn't like, like being in America. It was the lockout season was his rookie season too. So he's playing in Germany for the first half until they tell him like, you got to come over now. Like we need you now, you know? So like now fulfill your contract. So he comes over by himself. And if it wasn't for, and I was talking, so I was, I was doing a live cast with my, my buddy Fran, uh, that, that game we were doing, we were watching that game and, and like, and, and, commentating on it and I was telling this story because it's an interesting story that Mark Stein talks about you know from his perspective of Dirk Nowitzki he's been you know covering him since he was a rookie that rookie season was Steve Nash's first season in Dallas too they had brought him over from Phoenix as he had gone drafted by the Suns and Steve Nash is like the nicest guy you'll, you'll ever know like he goes to every city he knows 20 people he knows 30 people and at that point Steve Nash was bringing Dirk to all of these different places in different cities, and if it wasn't for that and like for him like kind of putting him on his shoulders and saying, "like I'm going to show you how to be American and kind of get along in this country, Dirk probably wouldn't have stayed in the NBA. He, pr- he would have hated it so much that he would never have improved, gotten to the point that we know him at, as now. And gone to a place where we like the legacy now is fulfilled, Dirk Nowitzki. So that's the first thing I think is interesting, you know, concept. Because even if you think about it too, in 1998, Steve Nash was not Steve Nash that we know today either. Like he was trying to prove his stripes in Dallas. People did not really think that he was going to be that good of a player, and he took a back seat for his own progression to help Dirk Nowitzki because he knew how good this guy could have been. And look what it turned into, right? So first and foremost, I don't think he ever played with an All Star. I don't think he ever played with one all-star. I think there might've been one or two. I, I genuinely can't remember. Uh, I think Josh Howard might've gotten one when he was on the team with Dirk, but ultimately they never really did a good job of putting anything but auxiliary pieces around Dirk Nowitzki. You know, when we got to that 2006 finals, when he's playing against the, the Heat, the destruction path that he went through to get to that finals, I think is memorable comparative to the finals itself. I mean, Obviously, he lost, and he carried that team on his shoulders the entire finals. So that was an incredible feat, even though it was in a loss. But at the end of the day, getting through that Spurs team in, in the Western Conference finals, I mean, that was a massive, massive move for Dirk Nowitzki to be able to, to actually get past the team that had just won the finals, is about to win it the next year, is going to win another one, and then going to go on and win another one You know, in, in 2014. So like that's a dynasty that he was able to overcome by himself. So we have this Dirk team, you know, doing what they're doing, kind of toiling in the middle of the Western Conference. Sometimes going up to the number one seed, and when, then we get to 2011, right? And this is what you're talking about, right? This 2011 team that is literally Dirk. You got Karan, you got Peja, you got Jason Terry, Jason Kidd, uh, Sean Marion, a lot of these older players who are really just ring grabbing, and it's all just around Dirk Nowitzki. And they get to this finals. And I think, mm-hmm. again, you know, talking about the, that, the path that they, they drove to get to the finals, getting through like, they had to go through the Lakers. They had to get through a lot of these great Western Conference teams in the 2010s to get there. And they get to this finals, and everybody and their mother is rooting for fucking Dirk and the Mavericks, you know, because we hated that Heat team. I don't know, did you hate that Heat team? That was the first year LeBron.
1: Yeah, it's I the Heat team, the Big Three Heat grew on me, but in that first year, I'm like, fuck this guy, fuck him. He left Cleveland. You know what I mean? Like that was the the Mavericks were America's team that year, and I think what's really important to note too is that this it was a really rare situation for Dirk where he was 33 years old when he wins that championship it went on to prove that that was very clearly his last shot at it. You know what I mean? He was going towards the back end of his career at that point, gets this one last shot that it's wasn't exactly like you mentioned all, all the ring chasers on his team that he played with. He wasn't, he's ends up being the one that needs the ring the most. And he is the exact opposite of the ring chaser on this team. He's the guy leading all the ring chasers and getting them where they need to go. It, I, it really was one of the most, impressive put your team on your back situations I, I i've seen in my era of watching basketball um just watching a team that you really didn't seem like they had any business winning the championship that year get carried by one of the greats of all time that's why i think it just meant so much to his career i mean he he went on to say later later on that he was prepared to not win a championship. When he looked at the longevity of his career and at that point being 33 and the team he was on and what was going on with all the super teams around him at the time he had he was quoted saying that like one of his favorite players of all time was Charles Barkley and he was prepared to be in that category of the what if and the guys who never won the championships. So I feel like it was almost a bonus the way he looked at it, that he won that. And I think as that playoffs went on and he ended up being in the situation he was, it added to that motivation of, I can, I can get a championship on my resume. And, and I just think it speaks to so much of the player that he was. Uh, he signed that four-year contract going into that season, I believe it was. And him and Cuban had spoken beforehand about, we're going to give this four more years to try and get you a championship. And to get it done in year one of that deal is pretty fucking impressive. Well, and the way and I you
0: look. have to also consider, you know, where Dirk was coming from in the years in between the first finals and the second one, Mark Stein, again, he's, you know, he this guy covered Dirk since he was a rookie and Dirk never had like really an agent. He never had an agent. Right and he was being he was fielding Mark Stein himself was fielding calls from teams asking about Dirk Nowitzki is he available can we talk to him can we have a meeting with Dirk and you know is this this restricted free agency is coming up but i think there's an offer sheet that we can match here is there a chance that we can have a conversation with him he had absolutely no intention of leaving Dallas at any point i mean he was devoted to that city and they had i wouldn't say that they had They had let him down. It's just like, dude, that Western Conference in the 2000s was absolutely loaded. There was so much fucking firepower coming out of there. Like, the beginning of the the decade, you're talking about Shaq and Kobe. You're talking about the Kings with fucking Weber and Peja and Bibby and fucking Vlade and... You know, and and all those guys and and, and now you're you, you keep moving along and now you're in the middle with the Spurs. Now Spurs are in it. Then the run and gun Suns are in it, and then the Lakers again with Powell and, and Kobe and stuff. And so like there was really no easy way to the finals. There was never gonna be an easy path to that finals. And so he had to absolutely take it take over these games. And in those conference finals he was capable of doing it, and we just saw a different beast come out of Dirk Nowitzki, and it was it was very impressive. And it, the 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 fact of the matter is, Mark, if he didn't win that finals, any rational brain could have told you that would have turned him into a ring grabbing mode, and he would pro- probably have left the Mavericks. And I think I don't think anybody would have blamed I him. I don't think anybody would have agree. blamed him. You know, like look, because look at the people on his yeah, team, no. all the guys who he got rings, right? Peja, Peja got bullied by the by the Lakers for three consecutive years, you know, in in Sacramento. Look at look at Sean Marion, these running guns that got their the shit beat out of them by the Spurs. You know, Tyson was on the was on that team. Fucking Jason Kidd who was running the gauntlet just the same way as everybody else. And so it it really was a team of just like misfits and Dirk. And it just showed the greatness of Dirk Nowitzki and what he was capable of doing. And honestly, you know, we can go into the fact that LeBron played one of the worst finals by a great player that I've maybe ever seen. It was amazing to watch it. He clearly wasn't ready for the moment. That's okay, because he was later. So I don't think anybody can really fucking fuck with him about that one, because he, he got there eventually. <laughs> like, like it got there. But, dude, I mean, it was, it was a very interesting concept. Back to your initial question, is one ring as more as important to a legacy as as that one? There's a couple that I was thinking about that I think were were as important to legacies. Like Bill Walton's in '78, that one was pretty important because nobody would have known just the pure greatness of Bill Walton if it wasn't for that for that championship. It was an immaculate season. Off. He was the second greatest passing big man of all time, um, probably third when it's all said and done with Jokic. But you got to put Bill Russell in front of him right now. And, uh, and you know, we didn't, we, we got to see that in that one year, obviously neither of us got to see it, but like it, it is on record now that that season happened, right? With Mo Lucas and all those guys, the other one that a lot of people, uh, don't talk about as much because of just how great this guy is. He's the fucking logo, you know, Jerry, Jerry West got his ass handed to him for the entire sixties. People don't realize that I'm fairly sure eight of the 11 championships that Bill Russell had were against the Lakers. Like, six to eight of those championships were against the Lakers and Jerry West. So think about, yeah, six of them. Six of them in the seventh one, he fucking won it, finally, in 72. Imagine going up against the same team in the finals year and year and year after year after year and getting beaten every single time. Could you imagine that kind of fucking devastation in today's day and age? Couldn't imagine it, in my, you know, for me at least. But a lot of people don't know it because of the time frame of when it was and also the fact that, you know, Jerry West is one of the greatest players that we've ever seen, but he just kept – he could not beat the fucking Celtics
1: because it was just the Celtics, the greatest dynasty of all time. What do you do, right? And when that becomes – the other thing is when that becomes a habit, and that's why I'll, I'll add one, one more to this list of most important single championships – when you're losing to that same team over and over again, I think that can be a real legacy buster because it's like, it's almost like that you've, you were given the chance over and over again. You could learn from your mistakes. You had so many chances to, to learn from that and you were you were never enough. That's something that could really hurt a legacy. And that's why I think LeBron for as great as he is and that nobody will ever really question his legacy, that championship in Cleveland in the middle of the Warriors dynasty, meant so goddamn much to his his career as a whole. I don't think, no matter what he goes on to do with the Lakers and beyond, it would never, ever be even compared to Jordan if he doesn't get that win against the Warriors in the 3-1 to comeback. I just think that single championship was so important, because if he goes on to just lose that and what would that have been three championships in a row he loses to the warriors three or four i forget uh i i don't know if we ever could even consider him close to jordan and we can well, at least we have can to also have the back.
0: conversation to begin uh i mean there was two championships with post Shack for kobe right so he has five total but if it wasn't for that first one with pow we all would have said If it wasn't for Shaq, if it wasn't for Shaq, if it wasn't for Shaq, for Kobe, you know? And I so I think that's a massive, massive championship for somebody to win there too. So I think that's another one that we should probably, you know, make a point of. At the end of his career, I think it's going to be interesting to see how many more that Giannis wins. You know, this this Bucks team is so stacked, but like it they just go under the radar, dude. Like, and they get to this play the playoffs and they become kind of you can kind of tell what they're going to do and like all that kind of stuff comes to the, to, to the light. And, and ultimately, I think that'll probably get another two or three, but it's going to be really interesting, you know, at the end of it, if he, if he doesn't see what happens there. So, you know, there's a lot of important championships over the years here, obviously. And you, the thing that people don't remember I, myself, you know, included because I, I wasn't alive yet. And, uh, but is before Scottie Pippen, and before Dennis Rodman, and I mean, he didn't have Dennis for the first one, but like before they had the stars for the first three championships, my, the resounding chorus around Michael Jordan was like, yeah, he's really exciting. He can get you 37 a game for an entire season, but he's, you're never going to win a championship with him.
1: Yeah, and I, I, it, that's interesting to look at because you start when you, I mean, obviously we're not going to see, we're not necessarily going to see another Michael Jordan right now. But that's something we forget when we're talking about these guys that are really young in their first couple seasons. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, bit, it's very like, I, I don't want, I'm not making this comparison, but like, think about what John Morant's doing early on in his career right now and how just looking at that the way a Michael Jordan in his first couple years would be, would be looked at. You know what I'm saying? It's, we saw John Morant go off for, was it damn near 40 points in the playoffs last season? And he he just wasn't quite there yet. So I'm not saying he's going to end up be somebody like that. But to see what John Morant's been doing in his just his first three seasons is so outstanding that you start to think, wait till maybe he builds a team around he- him that's a championship contender. And what's he going to do in the next eight years that we talk about thirty years? from well, and now I think is it's one of the all time greats. There's all kind of players in the league like that 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 you just start to go, it's also interesting to kind of consider the fact that
0: there's going to be, you know, the 2010s now have all of these players that are starting to finalize their careers and kind of go into this next phase of the 2020 stars. Right. So like the 2020 to 2010 stars, you have to consider probably, you know, KD is one of those guys. Steph's obviously one of those guys. LeBron is, transcendent yep. so like where would you even fucking put him at this point <laughs> is he is he 22 thousands or 2010s who knows but like russ is another one you know there's a bunch of names you can Giannis, i think Giannis i would say Giannis is probably going to be more when, when it's all said and done is i think a lot more of his legacy is going to be in this
1: decade than last but isn't it crazy that he was on um what was it? The all decade team yeah. that came out? He was on the twelve. Well he was also the seventy the- seventy-five.
0: He was on the seventy-five, which is yeah. nuts to me because he's only twenty like I'm wild. older than Giannis. <laughs> you know? So it's crazy, you know, That's by crazy. by a few months, but like crazy. it's still crazy to think about the fact that I'm older than him. He's just entering the traditional like prime years now. Right, usually primes anywhere from like 27 to 30 in that range and then after that it's like peak athleticism but they start to figure out the game more but th- now we're seeing a lot of these these players that are gonna go down that same path that we've had for all the reservation of insults or kind of shit talking for your Carl Malone's John Stockton's Charles Barkley's of the world right I mean th- we're looking at somebody like Carmelo never won a championship probably won't win a championship. This might be his last season. Who knows? Russ is going down that path right now too. Chris Paul, I think, is the worst of the of this crop right now. It really sucks to see like Chris Paul being this far in, being that good and still not having a, a ring to to show for it. I mean it, it really shows how elusive the fucking finals can be. Really. I mean after last yeah. year like he just put his I, he put everything into it until he just finally just got hurt and just started breaking.
1: Do you and it, we're Changing gears here a little, but I, I just find it so fascinating right now with him. Do you think ultimately, like if you had to put $100 on it, do you think he'll get one? Oh, because I th- I think he, he is clearly in the best situation, in my opinion, that he's ever been in his career to get one right now. And I don't think he'll retire. I don't think he's leaving the Suns until he retires. And I don't know if he will leave the Suns until well until he change.
0: physically just breaks he, apart
1: yes exactly because they are in such a good position yeah
0: i mean i think that this is the best shot he's had to win one since he started <laughs> uh, i sure. actually i'm gonna amend that though because the clippers had every opportunity to make the finals in 2015 and he he actually had like probably the worst 30 seconds of a point guard's career for a number one point guard that i've maybe ever seen when he dribbled it off of his foot and like, he just forgot where he was during the headlights, but dude, he's a human being. You know, the, the fact is if we're going to look at NBA players as gods, immortalized them, yes, there's going to be a higher standard than the average Joe, but at the end of the day, it still is a difficult fucking job to play with those kind that kind of implications. You know, it, it is difficult for somebody to be able to do that. We're not all Michael Jordan. I mean, Jordan's a goddamn sociopath, dude. Like he doesn't have emotions. Right? I mean, that's 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 really what it is. He, he's able to function at a high level with those kind of odds because he doesn't fucking care. <laughs> it's a difficult and almost unheard of mentality for somebody to have. And the average human being is not going to have it. And we can't force that on somebody. We can't force that on somebody. I mean, Kobe yeah. had it the closest. He tried desperately to beat Jordan. I mean, he, he really had the the shitty teammate thing going for him for a while. Right. It, it, but it, it really is a case of when people talk, sometimes things hurt when implications are high. Sometimes things are scary and a human being gets scared. Right. And that's, that's kind of what we see with guys sometimes, but with this son's team, I mean, the amount of talent on it, the, the coaching leadership of money right now, there is a, you know, uh, What's his name? Jones in in charge in the front office. James Jones. I mean, there's there's so many good things going on in Phoenix right now that I do anticipate that they're going to make another finals. They have finals experience now. That's the most dangerous thing you can give to a player as good as Devin Booker is fucking finals experience, recognizing what it takes to get through three consecutive series to get to a finals. That's a very scary place to put somebody like that. And so he's, you know, he's more than capable of being able to get there again. Aiton is capable of doing it. They've all been there. The problem is, what do you do against Giannis if it's him? If they go up against the Bulls team, that's a pretty inexperienced finals team. They have a good chance. But there's, I mean, there's a few, there's a few Eastern Conference teams that could take it this year. I mean, the the Heat are playing high level. The Bulls obviously are playing high level. You have to, you have to obviously throw the Bucks in the mix there. But then there's a couple like sleepers. Like who knows, who knows what can happen in the Eastern Conference? It's the best East that we've seen in a very long time. The Sixers might figure some shit out, right? I mean, probably not. But like may, may, maybe, <laughs> like no, no offense, but like. Most likely not. I wouldn't not, bank but, on it, but. but I mean, there's a couple teams that that might be able to to get some shit together.
1: Don't forget about the Nets. Yeah, fuck the Nets. I, I like, intentionally left.
0: I hate that team, dude.
1: They're, dude, same here. They I, can't stay just, healthy.
0: By the way, that's that's yeah, their I, problem. Those three guys do not play together yeah, often, and and I don't know if you saw that there was the there was uh, some rumors bubbling that that James Harden said he you know he's change of scenery might
1: be nice for him. My, I was actually just discussing this with my dad earlier tonight as well, and he's he just – my, my dad was speculating based on that report too and just some other things that have been said this season that, you know, J- it, it seems like James Harden is more than anybody in that organization is just upset with Kyrie and, like, the way this whole situation has played out. And I know not many people have been vocal, but it, I, I just get the feeling that, that this is something like Harden – you know, Harden – is just as much in this situation that we've been talking about as the main topic of this episode, the guys who need that championship. And if you're a guy like James Harden who needs it more than anybody right now, when you're dealing with a situation like Kyrie Irving being selfish the way he has been this whole season, that has got to piss the fuck out of you. You joined this team. I mean, I know it was a trade, but this was somewhere where you were seeking to go because of Kyrie and because of, Durant and the way things were supposed to turn out and it really hasn't been that case because of his selfishness for two years now
0: and that my big thing with Kyrie and I, I think I guess it's about high time that we talk about him this and I, I talked about this on the initial the initial time when it was first happening where it's like is anybody fucking surprised that Kyrie's doing this right now no I'm not I mean this yeah. is obviously how he thinks and what he does Going back to the concept, I don't know if I was talking to you about this or if I was talking to Fran about this, but there's another historical conversation to have about this because Kyrie Irving right now is the most, sorry, the least self-aware player in the NBA, has no idea what kind of ramifications his actions do. To his teammates, to the fans, to the fan base, to the NBA in general, to himself, to his family, whatever the case is. He has no concept of what that does to people. Therefore, he just does whatever the fuck he wants. He says whatever the fuck he wants. He he doesn't talk to the media when he doesn't want to. He tells everybody the Earth's flat, and he refuses to get a vaccine for whatever reason, even though the, you know, the city that he lives in mandates it. Like that is the lack of a self-aware individual. Whatever. For anybody who's like anti-vax, I don't give a fuck. Whatever. If your if your organization that you work for tells you that you have to do it, then do it, or else don't have a job. I don't give a shit. You know. And that's that's kind of how that and yeah. he he knows the leverage points that he has. But at the end of the day, how many teams have run? Has he run himself out of? They don't need Kyrie. They can win without Kyrie. No. I was talking about this on Twitter. It's funny because like if Kyrie ret- like retired today, I wouldn't fucking miss him in the slightest. I th- we've talked about this. Like I wouldn't miss him at oh. all. Be like, all right, cool. Kyrie's gone. That 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 seems fitting. <laughs> Maybe he should start a podcast with Steve That'll Bannon or something.
1: <laughs> you know, that's why I think, dude. That's why I think too. When you and you know, I almost respect Harden in this regard, and I feel bad for him because you look at it, it exactly what you said. I think the Nets have plenty with him and and Durant to get this thing done, and I think he's been. I, I think if you're Harden, you're kind of upset with the way the organization has handled it and ba- and babied him with kid gloves this whole time do you know what i'm saying like it's if you're hardened it's like at some point enough is enough look at what every other team has dealt with dealt with with him and just cut ties you know what i'm saying but it's like they're giving him every chance he can i get it there's so much talent there um you don't want to just give up on the guy right away but if i'm hardened i'm at some point it's just like "Ah, i'm not dealing with this circus get me out i mean he's a valuable asset you have to take him seriously if he's going to be
0: a, you know, little shit. <laughs> but at the end of the day, like I I think he thinks he has more leverage than he than he does. But he's also like he's not Yeah. The problem is just like, dude, I don't know. It's it's a very it's a tricky situation because then it gets political and like I don't want to get political. Because I don't give a fuck about either side and they're both annoying to me. And it's it's really just a case of do what your company tells you to fucking do or like or be mm-hmm. be willing to lose your job. You know, so he's flexing his leverage on everybody, which is kind of frustrating. But what I was going to say is the historical aspect to this, if, if you know anything about Rick Barry going back to the 60s and the 70s, he was like literally the most despised player of all time. Like People literally hated him. Players hated him. The fans hated him. Everybody thought he was a piece of shit. Everybody still kind of thinks he's a piece of shit to this day. But ultimately, he was so amazing that he kind of got away with it. He just And the, the, the comparison is not necessarily in the way that people responded to him. A little bit, I guess there's some vitriol towards Kyrie as well, is that the fact that he did things with absolutely no concept of how it affected people and did them anyway, right? Like Rick Barry leaves the Warriors in the late 60s to go to the Oakland Aces because his father-in-law is the coach in the ABA, right? Takes a huge pay cut, sits out for a year, is a commentator for the Oakland Aces for for a year then he goes and plays for them for 3 years comes back to the NBA you know immediately is just like disliked for being that guy who just like homie hopped to the fucking ABA and back didn't recognize like how shitty of a move that was and then just like retires on a whim after a championship you know like that's the kind of guy that Kyrie is that's exactly the kind of thing Kyrie would do if the, if the options were available for him at the time right So it's like it's interesting to see how personalities intersect with these players, where we know the players. And now because of social media, like a lot of people don't even know that about Rick Barry. You just know stats, right? Nobody knew that that that. about him as a person, right? You knew him as like Brent's dad, John's dad, and the guy who was a legend back in the 60s because we didn't have that kind of access to players. Now we have an innate access to players on a consistent basis. We know who they are now, not just what they are. We know who they are. And we know that Kyrie is somebody who is definitely going to stick to his laurels, which is fine, do you, brother? But it's going to be at the detriment of those around him, and he doesn't really care. So, I mean, to for me, it's like if this isn't good enough for him, the playing on the road thing, and he's like, I have to play at home, and they're like, you can, and he gets like mad about that shit. It's like, dude, peace. And for and to your point, dude, like with James. Yeah, man, he came over here intentionally to fucking win a championship. It made all the sense in the world that this team should be the, the finals, the finals favorites. They very likely still will make the finals. I mean, they're still caliber of a finals team. They have two guys on that on that uh, roster who have won championships. They have one guy who won back to back finals MVPs. But at the same time, there is a, an ego that is really just festering in the basement of this Nets organization in the form of Kyrie Irving, where he comes in, he, he dazzles, he plays out of his mind. He's one of the most amazing players, but then they lose to the Cavs, the Cavs, you know, four seed, of course, but still dude, like get the, get your shit together. That that shouldn't happen at all. I'm reading here that Bradley Beal could opt out of his current deal and pursue a five-year Two hundred and forty-one million dollar deal from the Wizards. Windhorse just dropped
1: that five hours ago. Do you think he's worth that? I don't know. I just when we go back to to what we previous previously discussed with uh you know just I, I remember when Dirk Nowitzki signed his extension and it was it was such like the, you know Dirk is is like Duncan the the most respected uh guys for staying with their franchise for such a long period of time in the midst of the you know the jumping the jumping teams era and the super team era there were some comparisons i in the article i read when that extension was made it was like the players that were seeing follow his footsteps now, or uh, da- the likes of Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal staying with Washington and Portland. And I just find it so funny how ever since that, that time period, really, that o- the article I read I think was written in like, like maybe three, five years ago, and that's already changed so much as we've seen those two names just floated out there in, in the trade conversations basically every other week or so. But you start to question at this point, especially in terms of Beal, like is he, is he legit at this point? Is that somebody that's going to hunker down and, and sign a five-year extension with the Wizards? As much as we want to speculate about how great he would be elsewhere, maybe he's not going to do it. And, you know, you can make the same case for Lillard, although I at, I think he's got to move at some point. I think he has enough awareness there, and I think they're in a little bit more turmoil right now than than Washington really is. But at some point with these guys, you do start to think maybe what the media thinks is best for them is just not the way they're looking at it.
0: I think that the you know the Wizards are an interesting group right now, just because you have to consider the fact that they were the two seed early in the season. Now they've dropped down because of a little bit of a losing streak, cold streak, but they're still a very serious threat. You know, to to take a series or two mm-hmm. from a, from a contender here. You have to take them seriously, and how much of that has to do with Bradley Beal? Almost all of it. I mean, not almost all of it, but you know what I mean. Like, they have a good team put together. The problem is that he's not he's not elevating your team enough, you know, to not need, like, significant help around him in the, in the form of, like, Spencer Dinwiddie and Trez and, like, all these guys that they have around, and Kuzma playing, like, out of his fucking mind for the, you know, for, again – we're acting like he hasn't done this before. But, you know, Kuzma's playing, like, great basketball, higher level than he has in a while. Um, Avdia's, you know, playing about on par with what we anticipated. I I was really high on him when he came out of the draft, so I'm happy to see him, you know, playing well again or playing well for the the first time, seeing that trajectory going up. But I I do truly think that from last year when we were talking about Scott Brooks getting canned (laughs) – to now I mean it's been a huge turnaround it's been a a lot of good moves from the GM standpoint but is Bradley Beal worth 240 for 5 years I guess we'll find out but truth (laughs) truth be told like if if I'm the Wizards am I going to pay him to lock him down so he can be my 7 seed starting shooting guard (laughs) on my 40 and 42 seven seed team Wizards or am I going to try to get a trade package out Where he can real and to like, it would be shitty for him if they if they didn't do that and they and they traded him because it would kind of tank his his value regardless of where he went. Like he's not gonna get that anywhere else because they're like, well, you're you're tradable. So like, I'm not gonna give 240 million dollars to a tradable asset because then you just become a fucking liability if you start to suck. Nobody's gonna want your contract, you know. So like, that's the other option. So he's really put the wizards in a shitty
1: spot. Yeah, I just don't I don't know. It's a really confusing situation for a team like that. I completely agree because in it, on one hand, it's like, when are they ever going to have this opportunity again to have a player like that to lock up? But at the same time, it's still not enough. And it, you're not a team that at any point is going to be able to – like what. there's no star that's going to go into Washington with Beal right now and just suddenly – um put together a team that can go win an NBA finals I'm sorry it's just not gonna happen the closest it's it's really similar to what what went on in Portland similar to what was that what was going on when it was him and John Wall I always felt like John Wall and Bradley Beal was uh the poor man's version of what was happening in Portland with uh Lillard and McCollum and neither was enough to get anything done so I think you're going to end up in that situation regardless and it's it's not all that different than Oklahoma City had to have felt in the last the last couple years with Russ where you just look and you're like what this is not a championship team we need to start from scratch and and rebuild this thing from the bottom and I, I almost think that's the way Washington should be looking at it rather than dropping that kind of money on a player that just can't get it done by himself. There's no, well, I mean, the, thi- the thing is, you're not going to
0: your number one player. You're not really going to be that great of a team. Right. But if he's your number two guy, then you definitely can contend. Definitely, definitely can contend for sure. You know, if you put him on a team with an for already sure. established superstar, put him on. I mean, let's just throw some names out there. Obviously this is all hypothetical, but like, if you put him, let's say you put him on the Grizzlies next to Ja, let's say you put him in um, fucking, I don't know, put him next to De'Aaron Fox. Let's say you threw him on the Jazz or something like that, where he's going to be like a high level number two option on offense. Obviously the guy you're going to want to want the ball to go to, but definitely not the guy you're going to rely on to get you 40 on any given night. And all you want from him is scoring, Right, because you don't need them to facilitate anymore. Because you need to get a specific point guard in there, which is what they've done with Spencer Dinwiddie, by the way, which is important an important addition to that team. Ultimately, that's a team that can contend, you know. But if you need Bradley Beal to go out there, have a usage rate over thirty percent, average over thirty points a game, and give you, you know, I don't know, four or five assists, and also maybe bring the ball up the court and you know do everything for you, it's not going to do enough for you. You, you can have enough. You can have all the pieces in the world, but he's much better suited as a number two. And I think, I think anybody could tell you that. I think that it would make a lot of sense for him to go somewhere where there's. I think he'll tell you. it.
1: <laughs> I don't know, man.
0: Anybody who's going for a two forty mil contract is 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 that like in in their mind they're that
1: guy. You feel me? No, definitely. And I mean, as they should. I'm just. He's one of those guys. I. I I just have such a tough time with because I, as a Sixers fan, dude, I, I I think it would be the perfect fit for us. Like the guy that, that might make the most sense besides the fact that he, he seems like he can be a little bit of a pain in the ass uh, personality wise. I still think it would be such a good fit here. And I, I, at this point, it's just every day looks a little bit bleaker in terms of him going anywhere. I just don't really see it happening. I think I think you've got the nail on the head reading that report that it, it just seems like what Washington is looking to do. And it seems like something that, that Beale isn't opposed to. I don't think, uh, you know, we forget sometimes that a player has to have that motive of moving on at the right time and wanting to go ring chase or go 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 try out another team, go build with another superstar, be the number two option. You have to be willing to do that. Not everyone is. And, you know, there are cases sometimes where a player like Giannis, um, and I'm not putting them in the same ballpark, but, you know, everyone assumed Giannis was going to leave for free agency and go to Golden State or wherever elsewhere. And sometimes, you know, they just say, no, I'm I'm happy in my city. I think I can get it done. And, you know, it's not always going to turn out that way, but – I think every day that that Beal just seems more and more likely to be one of those situations where he's just going to stay. Do you think
0: that Davis Bertans feels guilt when he collects his paycheck? <laughs> do you think he? Do you think he feels like he, you
1: mean like Timothy Mozgov or Chandler Parsons? He just retired. Do you,
0: think they, do you think they feel like I know? Do you think that they feel like actual guilt though when they know that they don't deserve the money they're getting? Or Al Horford. <laughs> it's 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 an insane contract that they gave to that guy. I remember talking about it when when it happened. It's like, oh no, that's that's dumb. Oh,
1: you guys are gonna really regret that one. That's way too much money to give that guy fifteen fucking million dollars a year. Like, are you kidding? Did you know, it was a really interesting, like, kind of along those lines, but sort of the opposite. Um, I read a report on the Sixers recently that said, imagine they had given. Um, I, I always confuse the two of them, but I'm talking about the guy on the the Bogdanovich on the Jazz. If the Sixers that offseason had given him the money they gave to Al Horford, it would have turned out so much better for them. He w- he was a guy that I really liked that offseason as well. And uh, I think it was him and not the the one on the Kings that was a free agent that offseason. I could be wrong. Bohan. Though. Bohan's jack. Ja- yeah, I think it was Bohan that that I read that about. Bogdan, Bogdan's Hawks guy. I, yeah. I would That would have been the move. That would have been the guy you go after yeah. there. That Al Horford. Do you know man. what's funny? You know they're not related. No, not at all. Just a common name over there they're or not, something.
0: Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it makes sense that they all have that. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I've kind of run out of stuff to say. So before we start rambling, do you have a? Do you have any any uh, key points? Uh, I
1: would just like to give a little uh, score update here on my my boy, number twenty one, as the MVP chance float out there in Philly. Uh, Joe Allen has forty seven and twelve in the third quarter right now against the Orlando Jesus Magic. Christ. MVP. Yeah, that's okay. 47 and 12.
0: That's all right. That's all right. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, that's all right. He's, he's okay. Yeah, I'm just mad because we don't have a fucking star on our team. But anyway, I think that's uh, about enough out of me. So if there's nothing else, we will see you guys next week.